hey, if you got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. And we've been in this series called Jesus is the Answer for Everything. And throughout this series, we've kind of walked through that idea that Jesus is, in fact, the answer for everything. And in the first two chapters, Paul writes, and it's really theological in mind. And in these last two chapters, we begin to see this shift that it's not so much theological as much as it is relational. That as we uh, begin to transform some relational things inside of us, that the gospel has the ability to transform us from the inside out. And as the gospel transforms us from the inside out, what happens is, is we understand that the gospel then reaches far beyond ourselves. That we have to be open to what God is doing in and around us in all of the ways that God has positioned us. And so it's not just about us and how the gospel transforms us. It's now how we can take the gospel to the ends of the earth how it moves us to to begin to take it out there. And it's so easy for us, isn't it? It's so easy for us to become so isolary in our own thinking. How the gospel pertains to me. How the gospel pertains to my marriage. How the gospel pertains to my job. How the gospel pertains specifically to me. And Paul is actually telling us in Colossians chapter 4, as we begin to make this shift, Paul is beginning to telling us that it's now about taking it out into the world. And so as we kind of come to the end of this book, and next week we're going to wrap it up, but as we come to the end of this book, Paul is actually leaning in and he's saying, hey, here's what this looks like. If you actually want to live this out, here is what this actually looks like. So I've given you time now to to open your Bible to Colossians chapter 4, so hopefully everybody's there. Colossians chapter 4, let's start in verse 2. Here we go. Colossians 4 verse 2 says this. It says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. He says, devote yourselves to prayer. Why is there this emphasis on prayer? Uh, Let's kind of backtrack a little bit, all right? In Acts chapter 28, we find Paul writing this epistle. In Acts chapter 28, Paul is in prison. He is chained to a prison guard. He knows that his time on this earth is about done. And so in Acts chapter 28, he begins writing not only this epistle, he begins writing other, what we know now as prison epistles or prison letters. Let's look back at what got him into prison to begin with. Acts chapter 2 verse 41 says this. It says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord, crowds of both men and women. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. In Acts chapter 16, verse 5. And so the churches were strengthened in their faith and grew larger every single day. You see what's happening throughout the book of Acts, right? You see that what takes place is that there's this momentum that God is at work in the lives of those followers of Jesus. And as God is at work, they go out and they share who Jesus is. And in the process, the numbers grow and momentum builds and momentum builds and momentum builds. It's fascinating when you look at the book of Acts and see just how God was at work in the lives of these people. And through the course of the book of Acts, you find that Paul was a guy who was always obedient to the call of God in his life. And as he was obedient, it got him in a lot of trouble. And he would get beaten and battered and shipwrecked and tortured and stoned and left for dead a number of times. And in Acts chapter 28, he is now in prison because the world thinks that they can finally shut this guy up. And by shutting him up, he actually just picks up a pen and he begins writing. 
And he writes what is now known as three prison epistles. From prison, in Acts chapter 28, he writes some letters. You know how he ends those letters? Check this out. Pray regularly. Pray in the Spirit. Pray when you're in seasons of winter. Pray at all times. Devote yourselves to prayer. Paul has an emphasis on prayer because he, he knows something that you and I maybe don't know or maybe don't, don't put into practice, that it all begins and ends with prayer. Now, I know that in a room this size, over the course of four services this weekend, I know that there are some people here who are going, you know what, Ryan, this whole idea of prayer, I've tried it, it doesn't work for me. It's great that it works for you. That's great that you're going to try and tell us we need to pray, but that, that's not for me. I've tried it, it doesn't work. Others of you, you're here because somebody invited you here. And I'm so glad that you chose to be here if it's your first time. We're just excited that you're here. But you might have came here with, with, with a guy or a girl because you thought, hey, they're cute. I'll go with them. Wherever they go, I'll follow them, right? Or maybe you're here today because somebody offered you free meal after this. And you're like, you know what? I'll do anything for, for some meal after this. I'll, I'll go wherever you want me to go. Maybe some of you thought you were going to Fred Meyer this morning. You got in a line of cars and you found yourself here. I don't know. Let me explain prayer to, to the entire room today. Prayer is this. Prayer is meeting with your dad. Now let me hit pause for a second because I know some of you in this room would say, you know what, I don't have a good relationship with my dad or my dad is gone, my dad was estranged. And, and so you've got all of these uh, things that are building up inside of you. Let me ask you this, okay? All in the same playing field. Let's try this. If you have a dad who is all-knowing, who is all-loving, who is always present and wants the best for you, what do you talk to that person about? Everything. Dad, I, I had a, a great day. Dad, I didn't have a great day. Dad, I'm confused about some stuff. Dad, I'm scared. If you have a loving and merciful and devoted and present dad, you don't have to focus a lot on what you say because it will just happen naturally. Let me say it this way. If all you have is prayer, you have all you need. Amen? Amen. Now, here's what I want to do today. I don't want to make prayer something you have to do. Instead, I want to look at Paul's words here, and I want to make prayer something you get to do. And Paul's going to give us three attitudes by which we should pray. He's going to give us three quick attitudes and say, here's how, how, if you're going to talk to your dad, who's always present, always knowing, always loving, always wants the best for you in, in, in light of his will, if you have that person in your life, here's the attitude by which you bring that conversation. The, the first one is this. The first attitude by which you should pray is that we might be devoted we wouldn't be devoted. It's the kind of prayer that Jesus prayed, that persistent prayer that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 11 when Jesus says this. He says, and so I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks the door will be open. It's a ferocious commitment. It's never relaxing. It's never slacking off. It's this constant readiness. And it's less about the length of our prayer and more about the longevity of our prayers. He's saying, I want you to be disciplined in this. I want you to be devoted in this. So when I see this word devoted, my mind immediately shifts to, to sports because my mind is just built in, in sports world for some reason. And so I immediately think of sports. And right now there's a tournament on. Maybe, maybe some of you are aware, some of you aren't because the United States didn't make it. But how many of you guys are into the World Cup right now? Anybody? Yeah, like four of you. Awesome. <laughs> this illustration just went downhill real fast. Now, I love the World Cup, 
And the reason I love the World Cup is because it's every four years. It's not, it's not an every year thing. And every four years, what you see is these, these guys who have put all of their time and energy and effort and resource into honing their craft of playing soccer so that they can go and, and represent their country on a level, on a level that, that is just incredible. Unlike the United States, who just wasn't devoted enough, you've got all these other countries. You've got all these other countries who've, who've put all their time and energy and effort. And I love watching these guys when they score a goal for their, for their country or when a keeper makes a save for their country, they immediately have this pride built up inside of them for this country. They're devoted to their country, unless your name's Ronaldo and you care about yourself, and that's another story for another day. But, but here's the deal. I love watching these guys. That when they, they score a goal, they'll kiss the flag that's on their shirt, or you know, they'll, they'll represent their country, they'll point at the people who are holding the flags up. They love, their, they're devoted to their country. They've spent all this time and energy and effort. It's the same when you, when you think about Iron Man weekend. It's Iron Man weekend this weekend in Coeur d'Alene. And you watch these people who have finished, who have devoted all this time and energy and effort and resource into training for that, or marathon runners. And the list could go on and on and on of all these people who put all their time and energy and effort into this. They're devoted to it. Others of us in this room, we're devoted to sports, uh, not necessarily doing the sport, but sitting on the couch and eating Cheetos and watching the sport. We're devoted to that. Others of us are devoted to money, or devoted to appearance, or devoted to our children or devoted to our social status, or devoted to our job. The list could go on and on and on and on. But let me ask you, are you devoted to prayer? See, it's easy to look at this and say, I'm devoted to my job because I put all my time and energy and effort into my job. I'm devoted to this sport because we spend so much money uh, being a part of this sport. I'm devoted to my family because that's all we do is family stuff. I'm devoted to my parents because look at me, right? I'm devoted to all this stuff. But let me ask you, are you devoted to prayer? How do we become more devoted to prayer? What, what if, church, what if we got devoted to that as a church? That the one thing we decided we're going to get devoted to is prayer for the next, let's say, week. And for some of us, it's actually starting with prayer. That you can't be devoted to something that you're not already doing. And so let, let's start doing that if we're not doing that. For others of us, it's actually waking up in the morning with the same kind of ferocious commitment that we have towards all this other stuff that we can get devoted to and saying, you know what? I'm going to get devoted to that. I'm going to put my, my drive and desire into having a conversation with an all-loving and all-knowing and perfect Father who wants the best for me. Let's get devoted to prayer. It's an attitude to have. Second attitude to have is you want to be alert or watchful. Maybe alert or watchful. I don't know about you, but, but I can become very distracted very fast. How many of you would say that you can become very distracted very fast by show of hands? Okay, some of you didn't put your hand up because you didn't pay attention. All good. <laughs> I mean, I, I can struggle with attentiveness. In fact, if you were to call me on the phone, a lot of times what happens is you call me on the phone, I have to walk out of a room if there's people in the room. Or I have to shut my computer. I have to get in a place where there's solitude and silence so that I can listen to what you're saying. Because I go on autopilot when you call me. For whatever reason, I just immediately go on autopilot. Where I got the phone, I'm like, yup, yup, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you ask me the question, well, Ryan, what, what do you think I should do in this situation? Oh, snap, I wasn't really paying attention. I, I can go on autopilot in that. And see, this word watchful or alert that, that Paul uses is actually the same word that Jesus uses in the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus with Peter, James, and John, it's the night that he is going to be betrayed. And he says, guys, I want you to be watchful. I want you to be alert. I want you to, to be in, in spirited mind. I want you to be focused on praying for me in the midst of this. And, and can anybody tell me what happens to those guys? What do they do? They fell asleep. 
It's the exact same word that Paul says, where Paul says, I want you to be wide awake spiritually. I want you to have this mental awareness when you enter the presence of God. Now, if I could be completely honest with you, because it's value your life, and I feel like I should be honest with you. There are times when I can sit in this church in the same seats that you're sitting in right now, and I can just kind of go through the motions. As I'm singing a song, I can just kind of lip the words or even mouth the words or even sing the words but not really mean it. I can sit in a seat and listen to a message that that should be convicting to me and I can just kind of go, you know, because I'm not mentally aware. I'm not mentally present. I can't take this ordinary moment and allow it to become a holy moment without sensing his presence in that. It became very clear for me a, a few months back when uh, I would go to, to, to the bedroom with my kids to pray with them at night. So we've got this bedtime routine at my house. And for some of you, you heard this story because I, I say it at child dedication, but, but you're fine. What I'll do is uh, in my house, I do the bedtime routine if I'm home at night. It's just something that I do. And so I'll take my kids to bed. I've got a seven-year-old, a five-year-old, and a one-year-old. I'll take my seven-year-old Kindle down to bed and I'll hold my one-year-old Ezra with me because we want to model for her what this looks like. And so what we do is we, we begin singing some songs before we go to bed. We sing the Trinity of Worship songs, okay? Itsy Bitsy Spider, <laughs> This Little Light of Mine, and Go Cubs Go. <laughs> it's the Trinity of Worship songs. I'm trying to get Eric to sing those three some Sunday. The Holy Spirit will move in this place, I promise you that. <laughs> but we sing those songs, and I say, hey, Kendall, why don't you pray? And so Kendall prays. And her prayer goes something like this. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for mom. Thank you for dad. Thank you for Dax. Thank you for Kendall. She prays for herself in third person. Another story for another day. It just happens. Thank you for Ezra. Ezra's our one-year-old. Thank you for Muffin. Muffin's our dog. Thank you for Pepper. Pepper's our guinea pig. Hate that thing. And so she, she prays for all of all the things that we own, right? All the people that we have. And that's what she prays for. She says, thank you for today. Amen. And then I go into Dax's room and I do the same thing. Dax is five. And I say, Dax, why don't you pray? And Dax does the exact same prayer. And a light bulb began going off for me a a few months back of like, man, my kids have an all-knowing, all-loving, ever-present, want-the-best-for-you kind of heavenly father. And they're praying the same prayer over and over and over, and it's not their fault. It's my fault. Because I've gone on autopilot to model for them what prayer should look like. And so a shift has been taking place in our household that when I take them to bed at night, it's not, hey, Kendall, why don't you pray? It's, hey, Kendall, let's talk about the things that you're thankful for. Let's talk about the big things you need to bring before God. What are you worried about? What are some things that if you could bring before your heavenly father who is all-knowing and all-loving and ever-present and wants the best for you, what would you want to tell him? And then I go to Dax's room and I do the same thing. And it's beginning to shape the way that we pray as a family. So let me ask you some application questions. What are some ways that your prayers have gone on autopilot? Are you praying the same prayer every single day? Are you praying the same prayer before dinner, before bed, when you wake up? How can you become more attentive and alert in your prayers? Third attitude that Paul tells us is this. We must be thankful. We must be thankful. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Where is Paul as he's writing this letter? Just out of curiosity, where is he? He's in prison. Okay, six of you knew that. I haven't done a good job of telling you that apparently. He's in prison. Can you imagine him? He's been beaten and battered and tortured and shipwrecked and left for dead a number of times, and now he's in prison, chained to a guard. Can you imagine him with some encouragement cards going, I'm so encouraged? (laughs) That's what he's writing. He, He understands something that you and I maybe don't understand, that hope comes from seeing God's provision in the midst of it all. And in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, here's what he says. 
He says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember that the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything and tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. He's saying there's this attitude of thankfulness when you come to prayer. There's this attitude and the challenge for so many of us is that when we go to prayer mode, we get this vending machine idea, right? God, can you do this and this and this and this and this? God's saying, you know, hit pause and focus in on what I have done for you. I love what a, a former pastor, a guy by the name of Ed Dobson, he passed away. He was diagnosed with ALS in 2000. But he wrote a book called Seeing Through the Fog. And check out what he says. He says, God, thank you for waking me up this morning. I want to embrace every day, however limited my day may be, as a gift from God. I want to live this day to its fullest. And I know there are things that I can no longer do. I know that I'm facing daily limitations, but I want to focus on what I can do, not on what I cannot do. So help me, God. I know that this day will never be repeated. I know that I cannot live it over again. Help me to live life to its fullest. I love those, those words. Help me to focus on what I can do, not on what I can't do. See, no matter how difficult life may get, we need to be thankful. In the thick of it, in the thin of it, we need to understand and bring all that to God and say, God, I thank you for what you've done in my life. See, the most central promise in the Bible is not, I will forgive your sins. The most central promise in the Bible is, I will be with you. So you know what happens when you're going through all sorts of guilt and shame and sin and pain and hurt and neglect and regret? You know what happens when you're going through all of that and you realize that God is with you in the midst of all that? You know what happens? Your attitude begins to change to thankfulness. And Paul doesn't just talk about the attitudes. He doesn't just say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be devoted to prayer. I want you to be alert in prayer. I want you to be thankful in prayer. He then is going to talk about the content by which we should pray. Check this out. Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. We'll wrap up. It says this. Pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. And this is why I'm here in chains. This is why I'm in prison. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should, that I might live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. He says, let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. So he says, you know what? You, you need to be devoted people, devoted to prayer. You need to be alert in your prayer. You need to be thankful in your prayer. So what do we pray for? He says that you need to pray for opportunity. You need to pray for opportunity. Paul's in prison and he's saying, hey, I need opportunity, I need opportunity, I need opportunity to share the good news, to share the gospel. Because by the world standards, they think they've shut Paul up. By the world standards, they're saying, you know what? We've shut him up. He won't talk anymore. He, he can be quiet now. But Paul knows better than that. Paul knows the theology that the scriptures teach. That God is the one who opens the doors that no man can shut, Revelation chapter 3. That God is the one who works out of the counsel of his will far above the counsel of man's in Ephesians chapter 1. That God has the ability to untangle a person's heart like he does Lydia's in Acts chapter 16. Paul knows by experience that God can do the impossible. He's already been in this exact experience before in his life. In Acts chapter 16, he's chained to a prison guard and he's praying for opportunity. You know what God does? God creates this earthquake that takes place. And in the midst of it, Paul's actually able to take the jailer and his entire family and lead them to Christ. He's praying for opportunity. How many of us, by show of hands, 
How many of us know someone in our life who is far from God and it almost seems impossible that they might come to know Jesus? Just a show of hands. Majority of the room. Truth is, God can do what God can do. And what God is asking us to do is to fall on our knees and to fall on our face before him and to begin to pray or to continue to pray for opportunity to speak to that coworker or that family member or that classmate or that neighbor or that teammate or that friend. Who are the people in your life that God has positioned around you that you might have opportunity to tell about who Jesus is and what God has done in you, through you, and for you? Moreover, how often do you pray that prayer? How often are you praying the prayer for opportunity to say, God, would you give me the opportunity? Would you give me the opportunity to share what you've done in my life? Would you give me the opportunity to reach far beyond myself? Because I understand you've changed me from the inside out. Allow me now to, to begin to extend that gospel out to others. How often are you praying that prayer? About a year ago, we began praying that prayer here at VRL. Saying, God, how would you want us to expand the gospel? What does that look like for us outside of just the Green Acres area, outside of just this little area right here? How do we extend the gospel outside of these walls, outside of the communities that we find ourselves in right here? What would you have for us, God? And it became very clear that God began opening a door for us to go to Otis Orchards. And so many of you know that in September, we are launching our first satellite campus in Otis Orchards in September. It's gonna be an incredible, incredible opportunity for us as a church to begin to reach out in a benevolent way, in a way that we might reach a group of people who, who maybe uh, don't feel so comfortable in this place because they're from Otis Orchards. So we want to go to them and, and show them who Jesus is. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I want to be a part of that opportunity. I, I want to do something about that. I want to tell you that right after this service, right after this service, we're going to ask you to go pick up your kids right after the service and then meet us in C1 for a meeting where we're going to talk to you about this opportunity that you might not just sit in a seat, but that you might actually do something in Otis Orchards for the kingdom of God. I want to give you that opportunity today. Paul's saying it's not just praying about opportunity. There's another step to it. It's actually being obedient to that call. Because there's something about us just saying, hey, God, would you give me an opportunity? <laughs> oh, no, he gave me one. And stepping back. Paul says we need to make the most of those opportunities. We need to understand and recognize that God has given us a sphere of influence. We need to be watchful to see what God is doing. That there might be people in our world that we need to love and people in our world that we need to serve and people in our world that we need to care for. There's opportunity for us to do ministry. That the moment we start praying for opportunity, we must then be obedient to his call. And once God gives us the clarity that the door is open, that we might actually step through that. It says, make the most of every opportunity. It's business language. It's looking for a return on the investment. It means to, that every action matters. And so let me kind of press in on that for a second. That neighborhood that you live in, that bed that you sleep in, that house that you have, is it just a neighborhood that you live in? Or is it possible that God has positioned you and placed you in that spot that that might be a mission field for you? That lunch break that you have every single day, that half hour, that hour, that 15 minutes, whatever that might be for you, is it just some lunch break where you get to eat leftovers from the night before? Or is it 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 15 minutes where you can actually begin to take advantage of some relational investments that you have at your workplace? That sports team that you're on or your kids are on, 
Is it just an opportunity for you to throw thousands of dollars and travel all summer and travel all year to go be a part of something? Or has God placed you among a group of people that you really kind of look at as family that you might actually begin to invest in them spiritually? College student, is this summer, this 10 weeks where you are home, just an opportunity for you to sit on the couch and eat Cheetos and watch Netflix? Yes. (laughs) And to be a light to your younger siblings, to be a light to your parents, to be a light to those friends who maybe didn't live the way they needed to this last college season. Maybe the opportunity is right in front of us. If only we were alert with spiritual minds. You know how we get there? You know how we get alert with spiritual minds? We begin to devote ourselves to prayer and ask that God would make us devoted and ask God that would make us alert. And as we're alert, we'll become thankful for the opportunities that God gives us. And as we become thankful for the opportunities that God gives us, the only response is that we'll be obedient to that call. Truth for me is that I tend to hit the snooze button a lot of times. I'll pray for opportunity. Then the opportunity will be in front of me, and I'll just hit the snooze button and go, yeah, I'll, I'll do that later, God. See, the challenge for me is not to start the day with God. I do that pretty well. The challenge for me is to spend the day with God. And I remember reading this text a few months ago, knowing that we were going to walk through the book of Colossians. And I remember looking at this text going, all right, this is the text that I'm going to preach out of this book. I need to actually begin to live this out before I can stand on a stage and tell you how to live this out. And so I've been praying for opportunity. God, would you give me opportunities? Would you give me opportunities? Would you give me opportunities? And what I've found is that I've, when I've prayed for, for God to give me opportunities, I just assume that every single person that I come in contact with, that that's the opportunity. I just assume it, right? If I'm at the gym, I just assume that if you're standing next to me on a treadmill, we're supposed to have a conversation. I just assume that. If you're buying bananas at Fred Meyer, I just assume that you need to know about Jesus. I just assume it. Well, a, a month ago, I was on an airplane. And I'd been praying for opportunity all week long, and and here I was, ready to fly home. And as I was getting ready to fly home, I I don't know about you, I'm a poor traveler, very poor traveler, in the sense that I'm tired, I'm exhausted, I just want to get home, I want to see my family, I want to see that guinea pig, I just want to get home. That's all I want to do. And when I travel, I travel a little bit different than maybe many of you do. I'm the guy that the moment I go through security, headphones are on or earbuds are in, I don't want to talk to a soul. Anybody else in here like that? three of you. My kind of, the rest of you are talkative people. Don't want to fly next to you. So I'm that guy. Like I got headphones on. I've got my own Spotify playlist that I listen to. Yes, it's called my Spotify playlist. So I can walk through an airport with some swagger. That's my goal every single time. So it's, it's got some good stuff in it. And so I have the, the headphones on. And so I get on the plane. It's the end of this long week. I just want to go home. I just want to see my family. And so I was in boarding group A on Southwest, and so I got to pick my seat, so I sat down where I wanted to sit. And then as the flight begins to end, you kind of see people kind of getting on and on and on, and you see this family getting on. They're the last ones on the plane, family of four. And I'm starting to do the math and realizing they're not going to get to sit together. And so I take my headphones off, and I wave somebody down and say, hey, I'm glad to move. If you need to move me so it works out for them to sit together, I will gladly move. I said, okay, keep your headphones off. We'll talk to you in a second. I said, great. So they move me. They take me and they put me, you know, front seat, center aisle, or center, center seat. Here I am, right? Okay, sit down. And as I'm getting ready to put my headphones back on, the lady next to me taps me on the shoulder. She says, what do you do for a living? <laughs> now, some jobs, that works out really well for. Like some jobs, like say you're a bank teller. 
right? They tap you on the shoulder. Hey, what do you do for a living? I'm a bank teller. Cool. You ever been robbed? Like, that's the first question I'm asking, okay? I, I want to know. I want to know. I'm a rodeo clown. Man, if you're a rodeo clown, I'd love to meet you, okay? So I got, I got questions I want to ask you, right? Here's the question. Like, you tap me on the shoulder and say, what do you do for a living? Well, I can't lie in that moment, right? I want to so bad. I want to so bad because it's, it, it, it's polarizing when you say, I'm a pastor. So I, I said it anyway. I, I can't lie. So she taps me on the shoulder. What do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. Well, tell me about that. Love to. I now know that for the next few hours on this plane, I'm in a conversation that could go south real fast. And over the course of the conversation, she begins to tell me that she lost a husband to death. She'd been divorced pretty recently. Her daughter was actually graduating from Gonzaga. She was now an empty nester at home. And she said these words, there's a void in my heart and I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> Here we go. Pray for opportunity. I got opportunity. Here we go. I'm going to be obedient to God's call. And so here I am. For the next few hours, I'm just explaining to her who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do on this earth and how Jesus came to fill the void that she now finds in her heart. And I wish, church, I wish that I could tell you that we stepped off the plane when we got to Spokane, we found a bathroom, and I baptized her in a toilet. I wish I could tell you that happened. <laughs> didn't happen. But I celebrated. I celebrated the fact that God gave me opportunity and I was obedient to his call. But as I walked to my car that, that afternoon into the evening, I began kind of grieving as well. I began grieving all of the missed opportunities that I hadn't taken up to that point. So I got home and, and we kind of made a commitment in our house that we were going to do everything we could to step into the opportunities that God has given us. And so at nighttime, when we gather the kids together, right before bedtime, we actually go outside and we take a walk as a family when the weather's nice. And we go walking as a family specifically to look for the people in our neighborhood that God has just kind of placed in front of us for us to begin to have conversations with. When I go to the gym now, it's earbuds in only when I'm running. And I'll go find anybody and everybody in the gym to try and talk to that I possibly can that's open to that. That I'm finding ways to allow God to begin to, to have me move into a moment of obedience in the opportunities he's placed in front of me. In my house, we actually, all of us own those Razor scooters, except my one-year-old, she can't ride it yet. But we, all of us have a Razor scooter. You know what I'm talking about? Those annoying things that when you get more than one of them down a road, it just sounds terrible, right? We also have bells on ours. Ding, ding, okay? Yeah, so we, we are those annoying neighbors. They're out looking for opportunity to just talk to anybody we possibly can and to try and build those relationships. I wonder what would happen, church. I wonder what would happen if a thousand people, let's just say a thousand people this weekend decided, you know what, I'm gonna live with that kind of intentionality. I'm going to live with the intentionality that as I become more devoted to God in prayer, and as I become more devoted to him in prayer, that I would ask that he would make me alert to, to the opportunities he places in front of me. And as he makes me alert, that there would be this, this thankfulness that wells up inside of me. And as I'm thankful, I then begin to move into an area of obedience for the opportunities he's placed in front of me. I wonder what would happen, church, if we just got on board for that even tomorrow. What would jobs look like? What would families look like? What would schools look like? What would it look like? I'll tell you what it looked like. It looked like a revival taking place. It would look like people 
living out the way that Paul has called us to live, that we might be devoted to prayer. If we have an all-loving, all-knowing, ever-present, want the best for us kind of God, why wouldn't we go to him and say, God, would you give me opportunities and allow me to be obedient to that? What would happen is we'd see a bunch more people get in the baptistry. A bunch more people. I'm not saying we don't have enough. I'm just saying, like, what's, what's a few more? So are you praying for opportunity? Are you praying for the opportunity that God has placed in front of you? The people, the sphere of influence that God has placed you. Every man, woman, child, we all have people. We all have people who are far from God and it seems almost impossible. So let's pray for those opportunities. And so today we're going to ask you to do something that's kind of bold, kind of bit out, out of your comfort zone, if you will. You, you might notice that over here in the baptistry, there's a bunch of writing. And that writing is actually names of people that you're praying for, saying, hey, this is somebody that I want to, to come to know Jesus. And so God, would you give me the opportunity to be obedient to your call to share that? And so we've got pins on top of the baptistry. And as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you over there to, to simply grab a pen and write a name of somebody that you're praying for. See, I love when someone gets baptized because I begin to wonder how many prayers went in to that person getting baptized? How many prayers of God would you give me the opportunity and how much obedience did it take for someone to begin to share what Christ has done in us and through us and for us? And so today I'm going to invite you to simply come over, sign a name on the, on the baptistry wall today. If you're like, I, I just can't do that. How do you expect to be bold at your workplace, in your family, on that sports team? you're not willing to do it in here in a safe environment here. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, hey, I don't need to write a name on the baptistry. I need to get in the baptistry. I need to come to know Jesus. I need to step into a right relationship with him. We've got Scott right over here. He'd love to talk with you about what that looks like. I want to invite you over to Scott today. If you're saying, I, I want to put my trust and my faith and my hope in Jesus. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. Thank you for the opportunity we have today to begin to put into practice the things that you have in store for us. And so God, today, my hope and my prayer and my goal, my desire is that we would be devoted to prayer. That we would be alert that you might be moving in and through and for and around us. That God, we might be thankful for the opportunities you've placed in front of us and not just thankful, but obedient to this. And so God, invite us into this moment right now to begin to allow the gospel to transform us so that we might transform others through you. God, we love you. We thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.